This week on the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. Yeah, I mean, so uh, this is going to be a common theme today, I think, but this seems really good with either version of Luke. <laughs> I was just going to say, right? Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a podcast focused on tactics and competitive play for Star Wars Legion. Hosted by Kyle Dornboss, Michael Barry, and David Zelenka, with Jay Shalansky, the man behind the glass. Welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels. Uh, my name's Mike, and I am here today with David. Uh, Kyle is uh, on a trip, so he's not going to be joining us tonight. Um, how you doing, David? Doing all right. Uh, surviving. Uh, I've been sick this weekend, but uh, I'm looking forward to talking about Legion today. Awesome. Make sure you're drinking lots of fluids. That goes for oh, everybody. Yeah. I got my tumbler <laughs> full of water right here in the desk. Um, so today we have, uh, some, it's kind of a short agenda, but, um, it's kind of a cool one. So we are starting a new segment that, uh, is going to be kind of right after this intro. It's called the Relentless Rangers. Um, and it is with Nima and Brad from Team Relentless, and they're going to talk about some competitive terrain stuff. So we'll jump into that in a minute. Uh, the later part of the show, we're going to talk about Cassie and Andor. All right. So, so for those of you who are paying attention to the news feed coming from Fantasy Flight, they released an article called Rogue Agents, which details all the or most of the stuff that's going to come in that uh, commander expansion. But it is both uh, a commander and an operative because we get both Cassian and K2 in the same pack. It's going to be sweet. Um, I can't wait to get into it. Um, before that, though, let's go ahead and have our first segment of Relentless Rangers. Welcome to our newest segment. We're calling it the Relentless Rangers. Um, and the reason we're calling it the Relentless Relentless Rangers is I have here with me today uh, Brad and Nima from Team Relentless. How are you doing, guys? Doing pretty well. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, doing great and ready to talk about some terrain, do some cool stuff. Awesome. So uh, just to give you guys a little bit of bra background, background, it's like Brad <laughs> and background, um, background on Brad and Nima. Uh, so both of them are members of Team Relentless. Um, and Brad, you did um, some of the table design for the LVO Top 8. Um, Nima has done a lot of the uh, terrain and logistics for Kublicon or Legion by the Bay. And both of you has been involved in Invader League in some capacity over the last uh, few seasons. Um, so Brad, could you tell us a little bit about Team Relentless and how that came around to be? Yeah, so after Adepticon 2019, uh, myself, Casey, known as Garnanana on the Discord, and Michael, known as Screwtape on the Discord, we'd all been talking and doing a little theory crafting before going into Adepticon. And we decided to, you know, we'd all been talking for a while, so we're like, hey, why don't we formalize this a little bit? Um, because we saw different groups popping up in the community. So we created and founded Team Relentless. Um, under the main idea of just being a collection of Star Wars Legion players that are dedicated to success at high levels of competitive play through growth, innovation, and sportsmanship. So the idea was just like, all right, 
instead of this being an unofficial brain trust to try to figure out what we're doing with Legion, let's work together, schedule practice games together, compare notes, come up with what we can do with the best, you know, what we can do to create the best lists and perform well at competitive events. And moving forward from that, we needed some different perspectives because we were all Empire players on the team. So we started bringing in people like Ben, known as Embueja on the Discord, um, who also does content production for us with the Playbook series, which is excellent on YouTube, and you should go check that out. And we also brought in Nima, who is here with us tonight as well, to bring in some rebel shenanigans into the team. And most recently, we also brought in John Griffin, um, one of my friends from the Chicago area here, who's also a really strong player and really good at heavies. So we've got a good, well-rounded team um, to go ahead and schedule You know, events. We've been doing a lot of work for the upcoming Worlds Tournament at Adepticon this year. And we've been playing together as a team for the first time officially in this recent season of YBTL. Awesome, awesome. Uh, and and Nima, how how did you kind of get involved with, with the team? Uh, I was contacted by Ben at one point. I think it was um, after the previous Invader League. Um, I guess I, they were impressed by my performance in that league, of course. So, uh, uh, Ben messaged me and asked if, if I was interested in joining the team, cause they, um, like Brad was saying, it's a very empire focused team, uh, and they wanted to get insights from, from players who play other factions, <clears throat> excuse me, other, other factions, other lists. Um, and I, I had interacted with a few of them on, uh, on the main discord at some point and uh, they they brought me on and we've been having a good time awesome awesome uh i, I mean i know most of the people on your team uh these days i mean you guys are a great bunch and you're all very good at legion i will say you are very empire heavy it's interesting that you guys pointed that out very, <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> are, are you guys gonna add some people that play play droids and republic anytime soon Maybe. I know a bunch of us are branching out. I know Nima and myself are also looking pretty hungrily over at Gar. Um, We've been messing around with a lot of Saber Tank tech and stuff recently and talking about little, like the niche things you can do um, in that kind of list. And I'm really excited to run a lot of phase twos. I've got a whole bunch of them sitting in boxes on my hobby (laughs) desk right now getting ready to get put together. You're one of the lucky ones that found boxes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Mine actually just showed up today. Um, Nice. Yeah, standby tokens arranged there are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so awesome. So uh, this segment that we're calling Relentless Rangers is going to be um, about terrain and competitive terrain specifically. You know, um, there's a lot of terrain out there that looks really cool. Um, some of it's not uh, viable for competitive legion. This is going to be centered around competitive terrain and competitive legion because that's what Notorious Scoundrels is about. Um, so why don't we jump into um, what exactly do we mean when we say competitive terrain and why is it important? Um, who wants to take the first stab at it? Uh, I'll take the first stab at it here. Yeah, so to expand upon what you already said, um, competitive terrain specifically um, is terrain that is thematic, but it's designed with the game mechanics and game function as its primary focus. And then, you know, theme and looking good and kind of secondary. Those are still important. But there's the difference between, you know, creating something that looks amazing. And we've all experienced this on the table sometimes. We have an amazing looking piece of terrain on the table. It's thematic. It looks like it's right out of the movies. And it's just 
really awkward to play around. Um, to kind of illustrate the difference between like you know aesthetic focused terrain and functional terrain, which the latter is better for competitive play. You know, you have, the, in, you have a bunch of different companies and stuff that do work um, in the area. You know, if you're looking at aesthetic terrain, that's more of the stuff you're going to see that's coming out of like Jim Martin Art and Design, who's done some beautiful, beautiful work that we saw at like Adepticon last year. And I know he had a uh, contributed some stuff to a Mimbon board up at uh, NEO, which was hosted there. And then the Terrain Studio, who does custom, you know, Sean Morris there does custom builds. Um, of these really gorgeous looking tables, but sometimes they're not the best like for setting up at like a big tournament like Adepticon because you have to transport that all in there and get it set up and has to, you know, be work and be balanced and work for the minis. Where then you have companies that are kind of like Legion Terrain and Imperial Terrain, which are a little more focused on that competitive side where they're creating terrain that is primarily for the function of the game. Um, and the, one of the bigger differences in there is, you know, it's about size of terrain. It's about sometimes how it looks, you know, little notches and stuff, you know, sizing it correctly. So the minis fit in there and all those kind of little bits jump into the creating something that's more functional than aesthetic. Nima, do you uh, have anything to add to that very thorough um, explanation of what competitive terrain is? Yeah. Um, so one way that we commonly subdivide the different types of terrain is um, they can be broken down into LOS blocking or area or scatter terrain. And you really want to try to have a good balance of um, terrain that meets these different categories. And uh, I think Brad will cover some of the reasons for this and what the exact um, distribution of these would be um, later on. But it's it's just good to know that you have to think of them in these in these different terms. Yeah, so um, as long as we're kind of on the subject of like different types of terrain, and, and Brad, you had men mentioned um, uh, terrain that was not easily transportable. Uh, Nima, you help run Legion by the Bay, um, and clearly you guys have to coordinate kind of getting tables there and, and the logistics of that event. Um, what goes into your calculus when you're kind of figuring out how you're going to put one of these events on and making sure that you have the, the competitive terrain that you need. Yeah. So that's a, one of the, probably the biggest um, responsibility that you have as a, as an organizer um, is bringing the, the correct amount of terrain to the event. Um, and it really is pretty much all on your shoulders. Um, so you, you need to really plan ahead. Um, it's good to have an idea of how many people you're expecting um, to actually play in the event. Um, what I like to do is if you're frequently organizing events, it's good to have, um, uh, keep a list of people that, you know, in your area that are potential terrain suppliers. Um, for example, in, in our area, um, I'm in the California Bay area and, uh, Mitrokin, some of you guys may know him on the discord. He has some, some beautiful terrain. Um, and I've been able to tap him a few times to, to help with RPQs and other local events. Um, he's got really beautiful stuff. Um, and it's, it, it's important to, to keep things organized. Um, you generally want people to bring you terrain in self-contained boxes. Um, so each, each box that you're, that's being delivered to you can serve as a single table's worth of terrain. Um, so you're not mixing and matching different people's, um, terrain that they own. 
And that really helps a lot with setup and tear down. It makes things go much faster. You're not going to lose pieces. Um, you won't have people yelling at you like, hey, where's my, my scatter terrain? Um, you don't, you're not going to go around chasing um, uh, chasing after models. Uh, and that just really makes the job much easier for you as well. Um, um, and I think Brad, again, will cover some things about um, what kind of terrain you're going to want on the table. Um, and it's when it's pre-organized for you, it's, it just makes your job so much easier. Um, you generally also want to look for a variety of table themes and, and table densities. Um, so you, like you might have a table that's um, sort of a jungle theme and then next to it, um, like a, an interior kind of um, a hangar bay or something like that. And it, it just helps, um, keeps the event more interesting. So people aren't playing on the exact same table on, on every single game. Um, and in addition to that, when you're, when you're sourcing, um, uh, when you're sourcing terrain, it's important to keep the players in mind. Um, people are under time constraints when they're playing um, in tournaments and when they have to constantly fiddle with the terrain, uh, it's, it's just going to be a, a horrible experience for them. Uh, so one thing I like to do whenever possible is, um, I learned this from LVO last year. This was uh, something LJ and Brendan were doing, um, creating terrain cards um, that gives people a, a general definition of the terrain that's on the table and just makes the, the pregame and um, during the game uh, just makes things so much more smooth for them um, that they have a card that they can reference of uh, what the terrain does. Um, yeah, to jump in on that real quick. Yeah. Um, I know Mike can probably relate to this too. When you jump, go to a table at a kind of event, I, you know, I've been to huge events like LVO, I've been to small events that are run with like four people at a store. When you get to these places and stuff's like predefined so you don't have to think about it as a player, it's so much easier to be like, oh, well, let's discuss terrain. Okay, everything's laid out on this sheet. Cool. Maybe talk about one or two edge cases and then you're good to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, so one of the things I hate the most about um, a kind of a lot of the tournaments that I participate in right now is that like uh, you you get there and you're like I'm I'm an imperial player and I'm standing across the table from like a rebel player or a droid player and we're looking at all this terrain and um, a, a lot of tos though some some do do what you're talking about Nima. Um, <laughs> they they haven't said okay this terrain is that and this terrain is that and i'm standing on one side of the table and i'm like well this scattered terrain looks like light boxes and, and we, we're supposed to agree on it right yeah um and, and my opponent's playing droids uh he he would much rather those boxes be heavy cover you yeah, know totally. um and and so i think that to some degree uh while that this is supposed to be a casual competitive game you know, kind of doing that for the players takes out a very awkward step um, if both players are kind of looking out for their own self-interest when it comes to competitive play. Yeah, that's true. And that's a that's a great point. In addition to just speeding up the setup of the game, it, it takes away um, any, any source of argument that could happen or one of the sources of arguments that could happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, awesome. So, uh, you know, we're talking about table setup um, and kind of, you know, the, the terrain that's going out there, how it's identified. Um, you know, Brad, you, you've done a lot of stuff um, in Invader League and at the top eight of LBO um, as far as table design goes. Um, can you give us kind of like a quick calculus on 
what goes through your your mind when setting up a table? Uh, the shortest way I can put it is a lot. <laughs> there are a lot, a lot of variables. I know I gave a little bit of a kind of sneak peek into my brain um, when I wrote. There was an article I wrote recently for you guys on the blog. If you haven't read that, check that out because there's some cool visual aids and stuff. I talked about designing the top eight tables at LVO specifically in that. It's there's a lot to balance, right? Because when you go down and you look at a table, you're given this nice empty mat. You know, maybe it's a forest theme. And you have a bunch of forest terrain. You're like, okay, I have to create an experience for the players here. Um, something I really like to say and talk about, you know, how important terrain actually is. Terrain's like the third player in every game. Because when you come up to a table, the terrain is going to determine how you're playing that game. You know, if it's intercept the transmissions, you know. What does the middle, the area around the middle point look like? Because that's going to be the most contentious spot. If it's recovered supplies, hey, you know, what kind of, you know, is there difficult terrain in the middle? Is there LOS blocking in the middle? Can I infiltrate on this box or not? Is it up on an elevation that isn't like the main play surface? Um, so there's all these different things that the players choose when they do battle cards that you're kind of leaning into when you design the table. And you have to think about that in addition to, you know, making sure people have place to places to put their minis on the table because um, you don't want to like contest deployment zones too much. So you got to think about deployment zones. You got to think about objective placement. You got to think about a balance of terrain. You know, we talked about that a little earlier, you know, having LOS blocking scatter terrain. Um, well, I'll give an example. LOS blocking is like, you know, your buildings, your tall trees, your giant rocks, stuff that prevents a mini from being seen. Um, even if it's like a good size mini, like an ATRT. And then you have area terrain, which is like your forests, uh, your bogs, your, you know, stacks of moisture, a moisture evaporator farm. Area terrain can be a lot of different things. That's terrain that you can typically see through, but will provide cover if you're in it um, or if you're getting shot through it. And then scatter terrain is like barricades, you know, fallen logs, boxes, small pieces of terrain that get scattered around. And that's typically what you see, like groups of infantry cluster behind on the table. So when you design the map, you're thinking about getting that right balance, all those placements from before. You're also thinking about how you want the players to move on the table and like move out of their deployment zones and engage. So you got to think about how far terrain is apart from each other to make sure that you can actually like have fights happen you got to make sure that you're using LOS blocking terrain to like break up different sight lines. So like a, a unit of shore troopers that's sitting behind a barricade, for example, has to choose if they're going to cover like one lane as opposed like one lane on one side of a giant tree as opposed to another lane on the other side of a giant tree. So they have to make players have to make those decisions. And yeah, it's it's a bit of a complex thing. I've come up with a couple different systems that I'm excited to talk about in the future. Um, on how to deal with that and cover different parts of it because it is a lot. And I learn pretty much every time I set up a new table and I've been doing this for quite a while now because there's just so much that happens every single time. I, I got to say, you guys think about this way more than I do. I just like when I set up a table, I'm like, all right, here's all the stuff. And I kind of like just throw it down and I'm like, Oh, all right. I don't want like a line of sight blocker on the middle of the table. So that's really the only, the only thing that matters when, just shove everything where it goes. So, yeah. Um, ha having your guys' viewpoints on this is 
is going to be very enlightening, I think. Yeah, um, we've had a lot of experience um, or a lot of practice with Invader League as well, oh, yeah. where we kind of have to factor in that, you know, maybe a, a hundred or like somewhere between one and 200 other people are going to be playing on this table. Um, we got to factor in a lot of things, um, like what kind of lists are going to be on there. Uh, who do we not want yelling at us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Because uh, there's there's definitely some vocal members in our community, yeah. right? And it's like, and that's fine. And people are right to be upset about a table, like, or if they think something's yeah. wrong, like, please, like, mention it because it might be something we miss. And it's just kind of part totally. something that comes with the job, right? Like, I volunteer to do that map stuff, and so does Nima. So yeah. when it comes down, like we expect to get feedback and that's how we get better. And that's how we notice things that we like miss. Um, and then, you know, when FFG drops a giant six inch base on us that we didn't know existed before and <laughs> validates all of our previous work, you know, that's kind of yeah. stuff also happens. Um, so it's, it's really about just finding all these different tricks and like finding out what people enjoy as they play. Um, and that's what I really want to do as like a map designer is I want to create a table that you walk away from saying that was an awesome game of Legion to the point yeah. where you're not even necessarily thinking about the terrain or you're not upset about, you know, like, oh, this is like there wasn't enough LOS blocking or like there was nothing there. Or it was way too dense and I couldn't move my tank. You just want to think about the game. And you don't even want to be thinking about the map. You want to say, like, I had a cool battle on Hoth or that was a really cool fight on like this, you know, landing pad on Endor or something. That's what I want players to have when they walk away from the table. Yeah, so I think one of the large objectives that um, I have for what we're trying to do with this segment um, is kind of es establish a, a, a very good base for what people in the competitive community should expect and um, kind of lean into as far as terrain goes you know I, I hear a lot of people walk away from a game and be like oh the terrain was bad and my first question is always well why was the terrain bad like can you elaborate um and a lot of people are not able to like give a very good reason as to why that is but i also think it's just because people don't know what a good table looks like yeah it's a learned right. it's a learned art and if we can if like what we share on the podcast here, you know, in this segment, if the thoughts that we can give out of people and like TOs and players can take that, incorporate that in their own tables, you know, we can elevate the entire community here to a better standard of table everywhere. Um, and the goal would, you know, hopefully we get to a point, maybe this might be unattainable, but where you go to either a large event or a small event and, you know, boards are just great. You know, there's enough terrain. There's a good balance of terrain. You know, people understand the basic concepts like the one third rule, which I'll talk into, you know, designing on an angle, asymmetry, you know, understanding how the different keywords in the games and the different sizes of units will interact with the terrain. Um, some of these are basic stuff that we can expound upon that will improve play on a table dramatically. Yeah, and I think one of our goals here is that if we can help the quote-unquote lower-level events, things like like RPQs or um, I forget what they're called now. Primes. Um, but, Prime championships. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, there, it's if, different if, every other week. It's fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be different by the time this airs. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah if we can get all, um, all these events to have um, a 
a decent standard of terrain so that players know what they're getting into or um, or that the events can meet the expectations of the players. Um, that would be fantastic if we could achieve something like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, overall, you know, I, I think that educating the community and making sure that that um, t- terrain ends up in a place where people people can go to an event and feel good about it. You know, I, I think that it, the showing up at a major event or even not a major event, you're committing like a whole day and to kind of show up and be like, oh, man, I brought this sweet rebel army and I can't hide them anywhere. That's that's a problem and it's a little bit of a letdown um, and it's and it's a bad experience and um, making sure that people know what to how to build a table, I think, is going to be vitally important um, in kind of taking this game to the next level in the coming years. Um, so I want to thank you guys for, you know, coming on and participating um, in the segment and participating in it in the future. Um, you know, we're going to try and do this, I think, monthly if uh, you guys are up for that. So everybody can kind of look forward to that. Um, any parting thoughts today, gentlemen? Uh, I'm excited for um, some of the future topics we're going to cover. So I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, I am uh, very, very excited that all of these things that I am constantly thinking about and dreaming about and spending way too much mental energy on are now going to have a voice on this segment so all of you can listen to my (laughs) internal monologue. Yeah, and it's not just us having to listen to it. Absolutely. (laughs) He's taking it out of direct messages and floating it on to someplace a little bit more public. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh... This is the segment Relentless Rangers, and we've been here with Brad and Nima today. Uh, we'll see you guys in a bit. Adios. See ya. Thanks for having us. And that was our first segment of Relentless Rangers. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, they'll probably be back um, thinking about doing the segment, I think, once a month, and uh, we'll kind of carry on from there. But, David, we've got... Cassian Andor, he is the newest rebel hero, which seems like it probably is wanted and needed at this point. Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, wanted and needed, uh, yeah, I mean, if you were tired of, of running Sabine or Luke or Leia, maybe, yeah. Um, I, I just think Cassian is just a really, has just a really nice new kind of feature. Uh, just because he's a, a sniper that doesn't have, uh, well, he's a sniper with cumbersome. He doesn't have the range limitation anymore. Like that's kind of his biggest, biggest new feature, I think. Plus, of course, you know he brings a suite of new command cards to the table, and we're going to cover all those in just a minute. But he is not just a sniper; he really is another dual mode commander. They're they're taking another shot at this. They took a shot at this with Jin. Um, it didn't quite pan out the way they thought it was going to pan out, um, even with the buff to danger sense. Uh, it just seems that she she's just a little bit too expensive, a tiny bit too expensive for what she does. But I think Cassian is Cassian's starting out at 90. I think he's right on the money. I think they learned their lesson this time. Um, I mean, <laughs> he I think seems he's pretty probably good for 90 fine. points, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think that there's a world where, I mean, 10 points on the sniper config seems like a steal, but... Oh, I yeah. think that there's a world where you don't have to take it. Yeah, I think that exists. Uh, I think his his rifle, or not his rifle, but his um his blaster pistol is it's quite fine. 
Uh, he does only search to hit, which is different than most rubble heroes. Almost all the rubble heroes search to crit. But uh, you'll, you know, when we get into the sniper rifle, I think we did get into this last week. Actually, there's a reason he doesn't search to crit because of the sniper rifle and the marksman keyword. It kind of doesn't really work with the marksman keyword for him to search to crit. It would just be too good. Yeah. So um, I guess why don't we go ahead? I, I mean, we talked about his unit card, I think, the other week. So I guess we don't need to get into his unit card. Um, but so the sniper, which I think was previously spoiled, is one to infinity, red, black, cumbersome, high velocity, pierce one. Um, and I think we that had already been on the menu. Um, but the interaction there was Surge to Hit and Marksman. I mean, if you can get two to three aim tokens on him, I mean, he basically just says, put two hits through cover, pierce one. Yeah, I mean, that's that's nasty, especially in infinite range. Um and I think, I think, you know, we kind of bounce around in our head all the ways to get aims on the guy, right? So there's the aim action. There's 3PO, right, with calculate odds. There's K2 with calculate odds now, you too. Cal- and heck, there's even K2 now with calculate odds. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you just took K2 for calculate, that's not really a great deal. I think you're better off taking R2, 3PO. But um, uh, K2, there's plenty of other reasons to take K2 other than calculate. That's just one great reason. Yeah. Yeah, uh, doesn't it, it, K2. Yeah, K2 has teamwork with Cassian also, so K2 could just calculate on himself if he wanted to and pass those aims to Cassian. Yeah, it seems really good. Um, it's not. It, we can't see all the tr- the upgrades. I don't think on K2 here. Can we? Did they give us a full spoiler of his unit card. Yeah, they only really spoiled the unit card. Okay. Yeah, it's it's tough to see if he's only got the comms upgrade and whatever. Um, other it, it looks like thing. It, it looks like comms armament yeah um, and it doesn't really look like there's one after that so maybe he doesn't have any upgrades i was gonna say offensive push would be pretty good on k2 but it doesn't really look like he's got a training slot um, yeah on cassian though the thing is though if you move you can't use your rifle because yeah. it covers them i'm gonna be honest tactical with teamwork seems really good yeah, yeah, it really does. I mean, the aim spawning is is real, man. And I mean, rebels. This is something that rebels don't really have, which is, you know, sort of the aim multiplication that we see in Empire. So they're kind of you know maybe giving us a little bit of that. But I gotta say, like, you know, rebels. I mean, if our faction identity is anything, it's having these baller heroes, right? Like, we just don't have. We don't have the best troops. We don't have the best, uh, you know, of anything really, unless it comes to the heroes. And I think the heroes are just so such good deals, and they do such dramatic things for for low costs. And I mean, maybe that's fitting, right? Maybe that's what the rebels are. There, there's a, a few really uniquely skilled individuals that turn the course of the battle. You know? Yeah. I mean, if anything, if any faction in this game is going to play like Hero Hammer, it should probably be the Rebel Alliance. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you got to give it to the rebels, right? Like. <laughs> There's so many personalities and characters in, in the faction uh, because of all the stories, right? It's all about the one one person in the right place making a difference. So I got a question for you. Um, clearly, the tactical combo with K- Cassian and K2 um, is really good. Do you think if Han had tactical, that would make them him workable? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know... Because that's the obvious comparison, right? Is, you know, casting K2 
and you look at Han and Chewie, right? You sort of look at these two and, you know, Han at 120, Chewie at 95 used to be 110. Um, you know, like you can tell they might have, they might have, uh, been a little conservative because they thought, oh man, this, the game doesn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of multiplication here and teamwork can get pretty crazy. And it really can. Like, I think we were speculating when, when these two, when Han and Chewie first came out, you know, what are the impacts of having three dodge tokens on a hero? You know, what are the impacts of having, you know, a triple aimed Chewbacca, you know, with all the crit generation and Pierce. Um, but I think the, I think they've moved, I think the game's moved on from that, uh, from that level of power. Um, I don't want to say it's power creep. I just think it's just the, the fact that, you know, they needed a they needed a broader canvas to work with because they just need more units, right? Because we're going from two factions to four factions. Yeah, yeah, and I think to some degree, you know, a hero that has like a two or two to four dice pool, like can have as many aims as it wants. It doesn't really measure up to a like eight to nine die shore unit with four. Right, right. It's got it's right. got a ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not even comparable to a. Um, you know, a fire-supported shore with scopes type shot, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, shall we get into these sweet command cards? Heck yeah. Okay, so... Okay. Uh, where do you want to start? Okay, all right. Uh, so, Crackshot has already been revealed. Um, we, I, we talked about that earlier on, I think, the last cast or one before that. It all gets kind of crazy in my head. Um, let's, so, so let's start with last stand, which is his two pip. All right. Um, and last stand reads, uh, first of all, I would just like to point out, I, I looked at the artwork and I legitimately thought this was a photo, um, yeah. when I first saw it. So props to the artist. It's amazing. Um, so this is Cassian Andor and one trooper when Cassian Andor issues an order to a commander or operative unit, that unit gains indomitable and gains one aim, one dodge, or one suppression token for each wound token that unit has up to three. Dang. So Indomitable is the uh, keyword the Wookiees have, right? Yeah, that's the Wookiee red rally dice keyword. Yeah. Oh, that's Uh, so nice. Yeah, I mean, so uh, this is going to be a common theme today, I think, but this seems really good with either version of Luke. (laughs) <laughs> I was just gonna say, right? Like, okay, my my Luke has, you know, my operative Luke has, you know, four wounds on him or whatever, and maybe is suppressed a lot. Well, I'm just gonna go ahead and throw last stand on the Luke, and that Luke is gonna have red rally, and he's gonna get tokens for each uh, wound token he has up to three. So, um, I guess the advantage here is that it's a two pip, so it's not fast. But still, like that's really strong and defensive. Yeah, I mean, do you, I love do it you though. Mean, like, you know, throw three dodges on Luke. That's fantastic. It's basically I, just like I'm gonna blunt, you know, any one attack that's coming my way, and then you know, leap in there do because you need I have Indomitable. If you have three dodge tokens, like, probably not, right? Yeah, you're not. They're probably not gonna shoot you. You know. Yeah. I mean, and theoretically, you can throw six dodge tokens down with this. Like, I mean, I don't know if, uh, like, uh, well, I mean, true. I guess, I guess Cassian has no way to like, uh, 
like give his order out to somebody else. Um, so it's got to be him and somebody else. But yeah, I mean, Kazan doesn't have a relay. Yeah, but like you, you can also, um, like if you do this on him and K two, like you get the the dodges and names replicate right. Yeah, because they teamwork each other. Yeah. Oh snap! Okay. <laughs> like, like, that's also just. I mean, like Woo. Luke aside, like that's really good. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Uh, <laughs> wow. Now, I guess for Cassian. For casting, it really is the last stand because his dice, his defense dice are not very good. But like on any other unit that has a strong defense dice, like Luke, say, or Sabine, like that's pretty nutty. Especially indomitable. Like, can you imagine like a box grab that goes horribly wrong? Well, I'm just going to last stand it. And now Sabine has a million dodges and she has red rally. So, you know, she's just, she's just gone, man. Yeah, I, I think Cassian really changes the game on um, recover the supplies if you're playing like Cassian Sabine. Yeah, Cassian uh, Sabine seems very strong with this card, especially. Yeah, and I think the last card we're going to talk about is probably even better when it comes to recover this uh, and box grab shenanigans. But heck yeah, um, that's a good point okay. about those tokens duplicating with teamwork. I hadn't thought of that before. That's crazy. Yeah, it seems it's. I mean, like, I guess you throw an aim, a dodge, on both, and they both get an aim and a dodge. Because I, I'm gonna be honest, I, if, if you get multiple dodge tokens from the same effect, it only teamworks once, right? I think so. Yeah, they get all the procs one time. Yeah, um, but like, still, like, still, it's tossing, a lot. Tossing, yeah, I mean. You're essentially if you throw an aim and a dodge down on each, they'll they'll end up with two aims, two dodges, assuming that they each have two wounds. So, yeah, they duplicate each other. Yeah, so that's really good. Phew, that's a lot of tokens. It is a lot of tokens, and he gets the one suppression token to fuel danger sense if he yeah. wants it. Yeah, they get the suppression to put the danger sense up. Um, so that's pretty good as well. Um, all right, so let's take a look at volunteer mission. Okay. Um, also, some pretty sweet artwork. This I love is Cass- it. Cassian Andor and two troopers. When Cassian Andor issues an order to a commander, operative, or special forces unit, that unit recovers, gains danger sense one, and may gain one suppression token. Uh, this is the card that I've been waiting for. <laughs> um. <laughs> That unit recovers is like is godlike on rebels. Yeah, it's a little bit more limited than Veers, but yeah, but still, like, I mean, like, okay, so they introduced Operative Luke with Master of the Force, right? But Commander Luke has been dying for a card like this. Um, yeah, I, this I mean, is, this is the this is the card <laughs> for that. This it, sort it, of. Feels like it gives Commander Luke Master of the Force. Yeah, in theory, you're going to recover push, trick, and then possibly even stims if you're going that crazy. <laughs> like, okay. in, th- right. in, in theory. Yeah. <laughs> um, n- not to, that's nothing to mention that it gives Luke danger sense. Danger sense, which <laughs> lets him add another defense dice of his own color, which is red. Plus, um, you know. Is I think it's actually I think Danger Sense is only white. Is it? 
I think. Let me, and I think let it's, me a, it's additional. Isn't it additional dice? I'll have to look that up, man. I haven't played a unit with Danger Sense in so long. <laughs> well, that's because up until this point, they haven't been. Um, they haven't been worth, o- worth overly looking at. great. Sorry, Jen. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think to some extent it's worth talking about. You know, this it gives a special forces unit recover. It, is this the card that makes Bistan, um, Bistan good? Yeah, I mean, well, it's clear. It's clear that this is uh, meant to be played with paths. Like they have, you know, Pow in the background. You know, it's sort of in Pow and Melshi both in the background there. Um, it doesn't make Bistan good. It helps him immensely. It makes him mobile. My problem with Bistan is that the place that he's most effective is range three, and. I think his worst matchup possibly is against B2s because they have the cover gun, the anti-cover gun. Yeah. The the blasts like rocket. And so, I mean, even if they do have armor one so that his impact works against it, I just think that there's a lot of, there's a lot more cover denial floating around now with that B2 arm gun in the mix. Um, I don't know. I guess it could make him better. Like, this man's issue is not his issue is not having enough danger sense. His issue is being able to recover and shoot in the same turn. Sure. So this giving him the recover through having a pile of suppression seems really good. For sure. Uh, it seems like you definitely can maybe. I think that there's more play to that. Also, um, I looked up in the rules reference guide. You are right. Uh, it appears that Danger Sense just adds one additional defense die. So yeah, so that means Luke just gets an extra save, <laughs> which is pretty cool. <laughs> no, that that's stupid. <laughs> yeah, <it's> stupidly good. <laughs> Let's stupid be real. Good. Stupid good. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's the thing that happened. Um, that is a thing that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we knew what the trend here is looking like. So, um, do you? I guess uh, this card is also in a similar kind of vein to the Last Stand. Um, pretty good with Sabine. You know, rec- she yeah. loves to recover. Right? Amazing with Sabine. Um, and gives her danger sense on top of her impervious. Yeah. Mm. So, like, uh, do the, those those might stack together, right? So, so now, so now, so now, I'm gonna rock a Sabine with the shield for sure. Yeah, I think if you get two free recovers, the shield becomes yeah really really the good. shield and the grappling line less so, but the shield especially with a double yeah, I think recover. The, the issue with the grappling line is it costs you an action. It's it's really powerful. Um, and yeah, it's no been a doubt. game favorite, but you know it would be really nice if it was a free. It'd be way too good if it was a free action. Actually. Yeah, like if I'm playing Sabine right now, I think the grapple line is really really awesome. Like it works against so many things. Works against uh, Grievous. It works against Luke. Both types of Luke. It works against Dooku. It has all yeah, kinds I mean, of good good play. It's definitely really good against the field generally. Um, I actually kind of prefer taking her without the dark saber and just taking her with like grappling line and endurance. I think. Yeah, right well, now, with so- like all these recovers and with Indomitable in the mix, like heck, you might not even need endurance. That's true. I think you you still might take it just to 
make sure. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, two recovers plus a a card that almost ensures she rallies all her stuff off. Like, yeah, maybe you do need endurance because Cassian doesn't have the slot for strict. Yeah, I mean, it's also worth noting that um, while Cassian's super good, he's still courage too. Yeah, he's still, you know, it's still very possible to panic him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, there's that. There is that. Um, so, shall we talk about the maybe most unique command card here? Yeah, uh, this, he's, uh, he's, this, so, this wall of text. <laughs> for, first of all, he's got a fourth command card. And I guess we shouldn't say he's got a fourth command card. The fourth command card actually has K2SO's picture in the top right-hand corner. Yeah, so it's K2's um, one command card, apparently. Yeah, so you, you only can include this in your list if K2 is there. So um, it's cast, it's Sacrifice, uh, yeah. Casting Andor, and K2SO uh, get orders. Uh, so it's a little bit limited in that capacity, but... Says K2SO gains Guardian 4. At the end of K2SO's activation, you may choose another friendly commander or operative unit at range 1 and in line of sight of K2SO. If you do, defeat K2SO and enemy units cannot perform ranged attacks against the chosen unit until the end of the round. Wow. Okay. So, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Okay, so this is interesting, right? So they, they chose Guardian 4 because K2 has 5 health. I'm imagining. Yeah, so K2 I mean, can Guardian 4 and fail it all if he wants to. Or he can just Guardian 4 himself to death. But if he does that, then you don't get, this, you don't get the add-on effect. Correct. Yeah, correct. so you have, to, you have to willfully like defeat him at 1 health in order to actually get this add-on effect. So... I sort of feel like the Guardian Four is the thing that's the best about this card. Like the the clause at the end is like uniquely really really good. Yeah. But I think most of the time you're probably not choosing to kill him unless you have like for instance, I actually don't think this is horrible. Like on the, turn one for a box grab. Yeah, actually, you're right because you just put K two. You sort of just launch him forward, and I, then you I make guess you the prob- box grab. You probably want it on turn two, maybe, but like, I don't know. You launch him forward, and like, let's so Sabine like lasts into the box on turn one and picks it up, right? And then, and K two has double moved up there, so he's within range one. And the next turn, you're just like, okay, well, I play a sacrifice. K two's got guardian four, so. Uh, I guess they just, I mean, if they shoot Sabine, he just takes it all. And if they shoot him, I mean, I don't know. I guess that's the downside of it. If they shoot him and kill him, you might be in trouble. Um, but well, but the, if you if you just eliminate him... Well, that's the thing, they can't actually shoot him. Because he has incognito. <laughs> You're right. You're right. You You're cannot right. be attacked by enemy units beyond range one unless you have performed an attack or used an objective card action during this game. <laughs> Doesn't care if somebody else has done an objective card action. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he literally that. just sits there and can't be attacked unless they're within range of one of him. 
So all he has to do is sit back at max range of Guardian and wait for the damage to come in. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess don't force recover against uh, Sabine K2. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I don't know. Um, it, so the defeat that I think that's the like one of the best uses of a defeat clause uh, for sure. It's oh, also yeah. like make making Luke immune for a turn is also super good. Um, Heck yeah! But I also think just like popping this card for Guardian Four and having like R two and maybe a, just another Astromech sit behind him. Um, Is like your shield's up for a turn, and you probably don't even lose K two. That's fair. Um, because he he's a droid trooper, so R two and the astromech get to repair him. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> right, so he's a droid gar- trooper. Yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so is, is this you, is this the birth of a new list? Is this double droids? I I I think that Cassian K two. R2, 3PO is probably the base of every Rebel list moving forward. I, yeah. I, not every Rebel list. It's every Rebel list that want, has Cassian in it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess, thank goodness, the operative limit is two. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, if you if you covert ops Cassian in that list, I guess you end yeah, up you'd have to covert. Hard. You could covert Cassian and then you make it work. Yeah, um, but. That's actually a really interesting. If he's your only commander, you just kind of like transferred the. It, you can kind of make your orders um, a little better in that capacity. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I sort of feel like the place to start here is either Cassian, Sabine, K two R two, or Cassian Luke K two R two. Both of those seem really strong, and they're actually, they seem kind of affordable, frankly. For four activations, I think it clocks in, um, like, somewhere under 400 points, which is not terrible, considering they're all heroes. Cassian, Sabine, K2, you're already maxed out there. Oh, you're right. With your operatives. I think you can still do Cassian, Sabine, K2. I think that's an an easy play. Yeah. Because um, I think sacri- I mean, like I think your point about sacrifice on boxes is so is so good. I I just can't see it. Because like if they I mean, if they can bid you down and force recovery, like how do you respond? Like Sabine is quite literally immune for like a turn, yeah, or more. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm not. I mean, I guess like you really just have to. If if you're playing against a list like that, you have to kind of uh, place your boxes somewhere where it's going to force a fight over the other boxes. I think. Yeah, you um, got to show. You got to do something where you are threatening, not just the middle. Because if the middle yeah. is the only goal, then you're kind of just screwed. <laughs> um, yeah. It. I mean, sacrifice. It's a very unique, and it's definitely it's a very unique effect that definitely has the practical application of being extremely game breaking um like i don't think we've had an effect that's anywhere near as close to as powerful as the effect that that card gives in this game yeah yeah like um no i am a jedi is one thing because it's centered around you know a 200 point operative yeah and it's still super limiting as far as like the two units you pick can't shoot you, but everything else still can. 
Right, you and know? you're also giving up your own strongest attack. Yeah, you know, because Luke yeah. is godlike in melee. Um, but sacrifice is different. Like K two, you know. I mean, his offense is probably still fine because of the blaster pistol, which we'll we'll circle around back to in a moment here. But you're right; it's definitely it's definitely a new level. It's very yeah. unique and very strong on its face. Um. Uh, yeah. I. All of these cards are. I. I feel confident saying that Cassian and K two do not have a bad command card or even a mediocre command card. Yeah. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Um, I think they're they're all winners for different reasons. Yeah, I th- I think you know his, his one pip does what a one pip what you want a one pip to do. It might not be as splashy as, um, you know, Son of Skywalker or Serve, but it's still, uh, it's still effectively two to four attacks. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, still uh, really good. <laughs> you know, if if you're able to kind of live the dream and uh, gunslinger twice in a turn, um. Man, good on you. But that, uh, but I mean that's good because it's droppable, right? Because you could drop it for other things. It gives you that flexibility. Like you could take crack shot, but you also don't have to, because yeah. maybe you want to double up on loose one pips or something like that, or maybe you want to do like I don't know, explosions ambush or something like that. So you get double Sabine targeting. He feels like a like a real Swiss Army knife, um, frankly. Like with a configurable gun, and you know, they talked about loadout a bit where you know you get to kind of exchange upgrades and stuff. Um, he seems like you can you pretty much like sit down at a game and you're like, okay, uh, well, this is the mode Cassian's gonna take this game, right? And and you get to choose, which is really cool. All right, well, we haven't even talked about loadout, although we did talk about loadout last week. Because speaking of Swiss Army Knife, right? Like now you've got, not only is it a Swiss Army Knife with command cards, it's also a Swiss Army Knife with his uh, with his up, uh, upgrades. Yeah. Because when you, you know, deploy, you... you may swap any of your equipped upgrades with your set aside. Like that's, so he's he's just got the tools, man. He's he's like you say, he's got what you need. Yeah, I mean, uh, I generally don't uh, super agree with the like upgrade suggestions that a lot of these articles have, but they're in this one, they're like, you can put overwatch him and you can quickly just change your plans for offensive push. And I think that, that yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Good. <laughs> the fact that you can change trainings. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's really yeah, good. So like you're probably, you're probably always rocking, you know, Hunter or whatever, or dangerous or, or duck and cover, but then you have like the ability to flex. Do you, so Here's a question that I have about this because I think Han runs into this a little too. Like, because um, originally people were like, "Oh, Duck and Cover might be okay on Han because he's got a low profile, right?" Um, but he's also got Courage too. Cassian's got Danger Sense, but also has Courage too. Unlike Jin, um, he also does not have Dauntless, which is relevant. Yeah. Um, do you do you think that danger sense is a is a thing that you take on him, or do you think you skip danger sense and just go straight to like hunter? I mean, it depends on how you want to run him. Like, I think he gets a lot of value out of danger sense when he's in the thick of things. Sure. And I mean, I think the the best way to use it is to do the is to go in there, you know, take a bunch of suppression and then last stand your way out of it with indomitable. 
I think that was yeah, kind of the idea. You could you could just recover it off with volunteer, I guess, too. Or just recover it with volunteer, yeah. Yeah. I guess you so the first slot's like offensive push overwatch and the second one is like hunter slash danger sense probably right like if you're gonna take i don't know what, what's danger sense these days for i don't know i think did it come down in the points update not danger sense duck, duck and cover, and cover yeah duck and cover is four yeah yeah um so overwatch so you know, you, offensive push duck and cover they're all four yeah i think you probably take a four point slot and then like you take a hunter duck and cover alternate slot like if you lose two points on an upgrade whatever you're paying for flexibility for sure um uh so let's let's talk about k2 yeah um we haven't really like talked about his unit card because we haven't seen it before today here's what i want to know so armor one doesn't work with guardian right because it's while defending yeah so armor one uh happens during the uh modified dice right. step i'm pretty sure or, or dodge and cover yeah it definitely happens before guard uh, before guardian so first of all like you can't use an armor like i think the only unit in the game that because there's very limited units that have guardian but the only unit in the game that can use like cover or armor or dodge tokens against hits their guardian is kenobi yeah i think that's an obi-wan only ability yeah um so armor one only works if he's being attacked directly. Correct. Which it's hardly weird. ever comes up because of incognito. It's kind of interesting. Um, K2 is uh, the only unit. Well, I guess just, I shouldn't say the only unit because um, technically you can give units guardian with General Grievous's command card. But um, he's the only like unit that kind of I'm going to put it in air quotes, has Guardian natively, but can also be Guardian off of um, most of the time. So, like, on the non-sacrifice turns, you can, you know, Guardian off K2 with Chewie if you wanted. And in that circumstance, if they're shooting at K2, the armor keyword does take effect, which is interesting. Right. So, I mean, K2 defensively is is Rex. Right, because he's 5 health to courage with a, a red dice with no surge yeah i mean i think armor counts for a lot there it does um, um armor yeah. is essentially having a nimble dodge on all the time but the disadvantage of course is that impact you know affects you well so impact does affect you but it still cancels a hit most of the time right yeah so, you'll still cancel a hit because dice pools are large enough that that's going to be the case yeah, so, I mean, yes, but I think that um, most of the time this is essentially, like, it's just cover one that goes up to cover three, basically. Right. Uh, and, frankly, most of the time he doesn't need it because he's got a sweet keyword that I'm not sure we've seen before, incognito, right? I don't think Right, which we, we, we briefly discussed it earlier, but I think he's the first unit with this keyword is incognito. Um, and... Incognito says you cannot be attacked by enemy units beyond range one uh, unless you have performed an attack or used an objective card action during this game. Yeah, so K2 is... Uh, he basically can't be damaged until you let him be damaged. Yeah. Or until someone moves into range of you. Um, 
Yeah, this is really interesting. Uh, it seems sort of non-interactive. Uh, yeah. Which, which I'm not a super fan of. Um, but, uh, you know, he's also 70 points. Fair. Uh, he, he seems like a, a really good 70 points. He's also gated behind Cassian. So I don't think that... I think you're going to see a K2 in pretty much every Cassian list, but I'm not sure that we're going to see Cassian in every list. So I think that that's probably okay. Um, I don't know. How, how do you, how do you generally feel about incognito? Is it? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's troublesome because, you know, I'm sure they'd love to shoot K2 at any, any chance they get. Um, and of course you want K2 to be able to do his stuff. And, like, obviously he's going to draw a lot of hate, right? Because they know what he can do later in the game if they're aware of his of his sacrifice card. Um, and so, of course, you know, he's only got five wounds. You know, he's kind of sniper bait. <laughs> yeah, I mean, armor helps him out a little bit there. It does, um, but it may not quite be enough. Yeah, I mean, if he's in heavy against a standard sniper, like, they literally need crits. Um, yeah, they need. They can only just roll crits if he's in cover, um, which is pretty good. Uh, he's also got uh, four red die surge to crit melee attack. Yeah, it's is, pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, that's uh, is that is that the same as Chewie's? No, Chewie's got. Yeah, it is the same as Chewie's. Oh my gosh, it is. Yeah, Except Chewie yeah. can take tenacity and K two can't. That's fair. Um, yeah, still like. If you if you if you don't interact with him until he gets in the range of one of you, then he just charges you or not charges you, but just walks into melee with you and thumps you with a bunch of red dice. Yeah, I mean Chewie would be a lot better too if he had incognito. <laughs> That's also true, right? Yeah, except Chewie's got nine health. Yeah, I mean that's what I mean. Like if Chewie got in there with nine health and like, it, I don't oh know. yeah, yeah. Like, he'd be real good. He would really be a lot good. better if you couldn't attack your Guardian battery, but the thing is, like, K2 has to do a very specific timing. He does. And it also requires a command card as opposed to just being baked in. Yeah. I, it's sort of unclear to me. Like, on its face, uh, these guys seem exceptional. Um, For sure. We need to circle around to this blaster, by the way. Yeah, let's take a look at it. Let's yeah, take a look at it. So I, keep this up, is, I keep up forgetting he has a range attack. This is uh, <laughs> so this is an interesting gun. So for it says uh, this is Jin's SE14 blaster, which is you know thematically it's the it's in K2's hand. Um, she gifted this to K2, you know, in the movie, and um, it's five white, which is stellar on a surge to crit platform. Uh, while generous is in your army, reduces cards points by five. So if you do take Jin, this gets a discount. Has Pierce one, awesome already. Has suppressive, even awesomer. Uh, but the thing is, it's five white on a surge to crit platform. So you can, and it's got range two. So you could easily hit the lottery on this gun, on K two. Yeah, I mean this is basically Bosk's attack at range two, right? Because I mean, like, let's get real. Uh... Does the the red die in Bosk's gun like nobody really cares that it is almost always a hit? It's the fact that it's just an extra die to roll crits with, you know. Right. So, um, <laughs> I mean, if you if you don't care about those extra hit facings, then it is functionally the same gun, right? Yeah. 
Um, if you discount the I mean, extra head facings. I, I don't know how, how true that actually is. Like, I think that that makes it consistent when you're not firing into cover, right? Right, right. But, but this is definitely... Um, yeah, I mean, for five points, it's probably... It, so do you... Do you just auto like it? So this is a big if because I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure this quite gets Jin to where she needs to be. Um, but if Jin is in your army, do you just take this gun over her? Her other, I don't even know what the normal one is called. Um, oh, her uh, her free gun. Yeah, like do you pay the five points to give her this instead? I don't know. I don't think so. I guess. I think if K2 is in your list, you always give this to him because he doesn't natively have a ranged attack, right? Yeah, this gun just shines on K2. It's so good on him, and it fills in it fills in a gap for him. Um, Jin, I think her her rifle config is really important. But the thing is, it, it doesn't. It's awkward, right? Because Jin doesn't have any offensive enhancement other than rebellious. Yeah. Right. Her offense isn't quite there. But I mean, when, when we're looking at these things, we're looking for value, right? So getting a five die attack for 10 additional points, I mean, that's like a no brainer, right? Like that just seems really good. Yeah. And being able to like kind of pick your timing because like incognito just like allows you to hover at like range two to three until you're ready to kind of, you know, throw down. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it seems it seems pretty good. I I will say that, um, you know, I I think the fact that K two doesn't have charge like Chewie normally does is kind of a big reason to take this pistol. Definitely, definitely. And um, I'm also gonna say like with Incognito, right? It's you can't be attacked by enemy units beyond range one unless you performed an attack yourself, or unless you yeah. like, picked up a box or something or done a vap. Um. You know, Rebels have a high activation count already, so is it possible to just, like, get a differential so high that they can never actually shoot K2 unless they get close to him? Like, that's completely feasible, right? You just you just go last with K2, or near to last, because you have probably have an even bigger last behind this. But uh, like, in, that, in that you just always keep him beyond range 1. Yeah, you just keep them beyond range one, and you keep them in cog, and they can never get close because if they get close, you chop them up with like a Luke or some other character. So I guess the question I would have is, um, what benefit are you getting out of keeping him kind of out of combat for that long? Uh, the inability to be shot. <laughs> sure, you're sure. Sac- like- because you're running sacrifice. <laughs> Okay. So you just so you, have more health. You have more health plus you have the um ability to to do your little special tightly special thing if you guardian down to one or whatever. So essentially I guess what you're suggesting is that K two is a seventy point Luke hit point battery. Yeah, or I mean really anything. <laughs> okay. Hey, you know what? We run eight hundred points of Luke, we might as well get honest about it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, you know, I always, it's always 800 points of Luke, man. It always comes back to that. I, I don't disagree, frankly, you know, even like, uh, 
K2 plus art. Uh, I guess you can't throw It's also just in. the ability to do damage without taking return fire is just strong in and of itself because you're doing piercing crits and your opponent doesn't have enough activations to actually kill the thing that's doing piercing crits. Because yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, so it's it's not just this round, right? It's It's during this game, so... Oh, during this game. Oh, derp. Okay, yeah, no yeah. Okay. Okay. okay, so you can put it in the right spot and do it without being without being injured. Yeah, yeah. I think I understand where you're going with the high activation thing now. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so... I mean, like, once he shot this game, like, he's on the table, right? Yeah, he's on the table, but you can keep him off the table as long as you need to. Yeah, and I mean, Rebelists are really good at that right now, right? Like, Yeah, they're just really uh, good. They're just... We're gonna run 11 to 12, and do that that sort of shenanigans i i do think that it's interesting um and it's possible that hq uplinks make this not relevant but cassian and k2's command cards are definitely not overly synergistic with tauntaun units they're not um that's a good thing (laughs) yeah no no i that's why i'm bringing it up um, you know, I mean, like all of the text, like specifically, uh, refers to commanders, operatives, or um, special forces, and all of the text also only goes down on things if Cassian himself issues the order. Um, so right. you can't actually like usurp the effects with HQ uplink it, like you could for like No Time for Sorrows or you know, My Allies the Force. So, um, I think that's just, uh, my hope here is that this kind of spawns a new rebel archetype or brings rebel infantry kind of back into the, the game. Although it might just be an 800 points of Luke list, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, he's, I, my hope is that they spawn a new list archetype, frankly. Um, whether that's the 800 points of Luke or Rebel Infantry again, um, I would really love to see like uh, Jin, uh, Cassian, uh, K2, like Pathfinder list be a thing that you can bring and be successful with. Yeah, like thematically, all these cards work well with their their sort of movie units. I mean, that's what yeah. I would love, ultimately. I think, you know, hopefully a goal, maybe, would be to have, you know, movie-thematic armies that really work together. Um, yeah. You know, I have a far-off dream one day, somewhere in the far future, that, you know, along the lines of, like, Evans Hoth army, they'll release a, you know, General Recon that goes next to Leia, for example, that commands T-47s with the same deafness that Leia commands Tauntaun armies. Yeah, I mean, I I think... I I, I think the one thing that the Rebels are really missing uh, in their kind of suite is a commander that makes vehicles uh, good, you know? Um, Yeah. I I think Imperials sort of have that. I think it's kind of questionable to say that Veers makes vehicles super good. Like, his command cards are fine on them. Yeah, Um, I think, like, Imperial vehicles were already good. Veers just gets that extra little bit of sauce there with the recovery options and 
Yeah. But he's like, not some totally necessary. Like, yeah. Look, if you don't care about his command cards, you can easily run an Imperial officer with binoculars and run a double yeah. heavy. And then it's totally. like, okay, whatever. Because um, pin down's that pin down's the strong neutral, right? That all the Imperial vehicles rely on. Yeah, I mean, pin down is is mu- uh, much better than evasive. What was it? Ta- evasive tactics, evasive maneuvers. Evasive maneuvers, yeah. Yeah, it's way better. Um, so I, yeah, I think that that's generally just kind of how that goes. But yeah, I think I think Riken would be a cool like uh, person to put that ability on, and I think just generally. Um, I'm seeing kind of more commanders come out that fit these different roles is going to be a really interesting way to expand and adapt the game. Um, I, I cannot wait to see the rest of Iden's cards. Um, yeah. Hopefully that spoiler is this week. That's going to so, come soon. Yeah. Um, Dude, I'm so ready. I really do hope that the that the dream comes true and that Cassian and, and K2 kind of inspire a different style because um, it's not that Tons are boring, it's just that you know, uh, I don't say this often. Um, there's a difference between a faction being overpowered and a faction being broken, right? And um, rebels, I don't know, man. Like it's it's tough not to say rebels are broken because right now I view the rebel trooper, and I think a lot of folks are starting to view the rebel trooper as a, a tax. If if people could get away without taking cores in the rebel faction, they wouldn't right now. I'm so almost certain. Here, here, here's my question that kind of fundamentally sits behind that is that if if rebel core units like clearly Tauntauns have made people feel like rebel core units are obsolete. Yeah, and but, shores. And shores. Um Do you think that people just swap into like if Tauntauns get like peeled back or whatever in some fashion? Do you think people just swap to Hero Hammer Rebelists and continue to do the same thing? I think they'll. I think that'll be a definite like consideration. Um, I don't know, man. The twenty A does give me a little hope. And uh, as yeah, you man, know, it's really good. Built on hope. <laughs> Wait, sorry, you're um, saying? No, I mean it's uh, the. The DLT is really good. Um, I mean, I think functionally the question is, to me, the issue with Rebel Troopers has never been their offense, right? Like, that's that's always been what they've been good at. Right. Uh, so if, if their offense is not the problem... You know, it's it's their defense, and and does the DLT really fix that? It doesn't, because their durability isn't, isn't altered in any way. Like um, and and they're more expensive at that point. Right, right? they're more expensive, exactly. So it's like, you know, we're caught we're caught on the horns of this dilemma, right? You've got Empire and Clones surging on defense with their red dice from various sources, and you got droids who who can also surge on defense sometimes, who also have three additional wounds most of the time. Yeah, so I guess where I'm sitting on this is is it okay that there is a faction in the game that leans into its units that are not core units? I sort of feel like if there's a faction that does that, it should be the rebels. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, the question is, is that generally okay? 
I don't know. I mean, a lot of people have invested a lot of money into core units, right? So yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, sure there's, I'm not the I only think, person sitting on six boxes of uh, Z sixes or whatever the equivalent there, right? You know, so because six V was a thing, right, for a long time because it was the only thing to play, and then fleets yeah. were really good for a hot minute, and then people stopped playing fleets because rage is king. So it's it, yeah. I mean. Yes, range is king. Tauntauns essentially have like range. Yeah, tauns, tauns have range five because they're hella fast and they have range two. Yeah, so, so. I mean, that's just kind of how that goes. So, yeah, force projection is really crucial in this game, especially on a three by six table. Less so on, less so on a three by three, which is why I play Wookiees on three by threes because Wookiees are actually really good in that format because their health starts to matter a lot more because they can get where they need to go quickly. Yeah, but, man, I really wish like. I don't know. Wookiees need to come down in price or something. Like at one ten, at one ten, they do taunt. Tauntauns do everything Wookiees do, but better, and they do more stuff. Yep. Um, yeah, it's just it's just yeah. a fact, man. And like the Wookiees, you know, they have twelve wounds, but they lose models faster than Tauntauns because they only have three health per model. Yeah. They also don't surge on defense. They also don't generate their own dodges. Um, yeah, I mean. The, the other thing, though, is that, like, 8 health um, is not that different than 12 health once you factor in the fact that Taunts surge on defense, and they have the dodge tokens. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think when it comes down to um, longevity, it's very possible that the Taunts not only are harder to kill a single model, but have just a higher effective health pool over the course of the game due to, you know, if you generate um, 12 dodge tokens with the Tauntauns, um, that's the equivalent health pool of the Wookiees. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like you've and, already, and you're like, already setting yourself up to generate more, more uh, defensive value there. Yeah. It's just so, baked in. Right. Like, I don't know, um, and that doesn't include cover and all that stuff, obviously. But right. like, now, now they um, can't get to a nine die ceiling. But I tell you, I bet you they average higher because RAM fixes the dice. Yeah, I mean RAM is roughly equivalent to two aim tokens. Um, yeah, so you know, <laughs> action economy galore. It's it's not like, you know, people say, oh, I'm going to do seven actions. It's actually more like eleven when you factor in all the benefits. Yeah, I mean, you know, RAM is essentially two. You know, Agile, so, yeah. Agile's two more. So it's actually nine, excuse me, not 11. Yeah, so, but still. Still, you know, I mean, <laughs> like nine actions is pretty damn nice. There, there are 200-point units in this game that don't come close to that Yeah, they can't do that, point. right? I think, I think the original Vader article that I put out that talked about, like, action efficiency and... And stuff. I think I think you can get to like five or six in a turn with him, which is like really good, but it's not anywhere close to nine. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I gotta say, implacable double force push is pretty dope. I, I still, think yeah. it, I still think it rules. <laughs> like it's really I nice. Mean, I think I think he's you know um, he he's he's decent now. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know if he's in the playable bucket yet, but. Um, He's definitely more fringe than he was before. I yeah, think. he's a little more fringy now. 
Um, I got to say, I kind of, I think Operative is a lot better than Commander. There's a lot of people that don't believe me. Yeah, people, um, I don't know why they don't believe you. It's like, and I, I like, I played against Commander the other day, and I'm like, oh man, if that was Operative, I'd be so dead right here. <laughs> yeah. I literally had that thought cross my mind. Yeah. It's like, well, uh, actually, because I'm faster than you, I'll just run away and win the game because I have speed too and you don't. That's, I think, the fundamental issue with Commander as opposed to Operative is just the zoning. Yeah, it was, a, it was an elimination game on Skirmish, and everybody had speed too. So as soon as we, offed, as soon as we both off three units from each other's armies... I literally just ran away to do secret mission with R2-D2. <laughs> I just won the game. Because yeah. nothing could yeah. catch R2 by then. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you can, if you can, I, I love stranding R2 up on top of a building. With yeah, Vader's Might. Um, that's, that's like one of my new favorite tricks. Um, but it's also a lot easier to do if you can do two speed, two moves in a turn. So. That's like the biggest um, reason to run Blast Off now is Vader's Might. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's like a real problem I've I've found for the rebelists that are running R two but not blast off. It's like, okay, R two really wants line of sight blocking terrain, but not against Vader, you know. True, um, true. So. I mean, if you really want to VM my thirty five point droid, I mean, be my guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, anyway. it's it kills an activation, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, we're we've gone down the rabbit hole. Kyle's not here to realize. Yeah, Kyle's not here to realize. Um, we can we can continue salting <laughs> for the next two hours if we wanted to. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> do we have anything to add on K two SO and Cassian Andor? Um, other than that, I'm looking forward to playing these these guys immensely, and that I'm also looking forward to seeing what they have uh, in Iden's pack as well. Yeah. Um, I, other than that, man, it's it's. I'm just, you know, it, this is great because, you know, Worlds is going to happen in a couple of weeks here, right? And after Worlds is over the game is completely open again because there are so many new things. There's three new objectives. There's so much like width now. Yeah. It sort of feels like it, it's going to be a reboot to some extent. Hopefully Tons and Shores get adjusted in that time frame. Yeah. Um, but, but I do think to some extent there's the game is kind of being rebooted in that we're going to have a whole new set of like j- just doubling basically the number of, you know, condition, objective, and deployment cards that are in the game is already a huge change. But there's a lot of unique units like Padme and Cad and, you know, Cassian and Aiden, uh, you know, and yeah. the, the ARCs and the BX droids. Are BX droids yeah, there's so much new stuff coming our way. You know, it's, I think with two, two more factions that are legitimately competitive, um, I know a lot of people maybe we'll have an argument about that it, whether uh cis and gar are competitive right now i personally feel like they're not um but i think the sniper strike teams really changed that uh yeah fundamentally so like once they get strike be, teams yeah i think once they have strike teams they're immediately in the in the running for being completely playable um in in like in a top tier way oh know? yeah so all right well i guess let's uh let's wrap this show up um we're the notorious scoundrels i'm mike i'm david and kyle is somewhere else (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another episode of The Notorious Scoundrels. This has been a Fifth Trooper production. <laughs>